You hit that guy. He shouldn't have been standing. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Well, I lost him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. Uh, he's already got one, you see? Welcome, once again, uh, to Gag Reel, your, uh, your, your new podcast uh, about comedy movies, comedy TV shows, hopefully in the future, and uh, where we just, uh, we all sit around and hang out and uh, talk about these these movies that uh, maybe have not been fully appreciated um, to or for, for every part of their, uh, you know, what, what they do. Um, I'm Ryan. I'm Will. And today we're we're talking about the Kentucky Fried movie, um, the the 1977 uh, kind of the start of uh, the the Zuckerman uh, career for for those guys. Yep. Um, and we're gonna pair that with uh, with Hollywood Shuffle, um, which I'm I'm excited to dive into as well. That was a new one for me. Yeah, I, new one. Uh, both both were new for me, and um, I was excited to. Check both of them out. And uh, so we are going to be diving deep on that. Um, and uh, I've mentioned it before, and I'm just going to add it in the start of the show. If you uh, if you want to to ever write in to us and uh, and you know give your own opinions about the movies we're talking about or about the show in general, uh, it makes you write into a gagreelpod at gmail.com. And we can include your own little uh, reviews of, uh, of what we're going to be talking about. Um, so stick around and uh, enjoy the conversation about Kentucky Fried Movie and Hollywood Shuffle. Feel free to also chime in if you just want to call us complete morons and correct us on anything that we've gotten wrong. I have spent a lifetime in the motion picture industry. Now, after 50 years in Hollywood... I have finally produced what I feel is the finest motion picture ever made. I have called it the Kentucky Fried Movie. The Kentucky Fried Movie heralds the return to traditional values. I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. It is a film of heartfelt passion, a great love story. Oh, take me to this drive and prove you love me. It explores the subtle nuances of interpersonal relationship. Of course, there are occasional moments of comic relief. I guess what were your general impressions uh, watching Kentucky Fried movie for the first time? We'll we'll just start from there. Um, I thought it was wacky and zany, and uh, a lot of the jokes did not hold up. Some of them did, and um, I had I had a pretty enjoyable time watching the film. Uh, not my favorite of 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 the david zucker jim abraham's jerry zucker film legacy but it was you know like it was definitely uh you know like an an early attempt by them and it was just straight up it was just straight up zaniness 
Is, I think is also I- important to throw John Landis in, into that list as well. Yes, he did direct the film and uh, put himself and that group on the map with this film, uh, which I'll go into in a little while when we get into the uh, the history of the Kentucky yeah. Fried movie. Yeah, what were your thoughts? For, for my, my general kind of impressions were like, I had seen this at some point kind of late in high school uh, when I was just like snatching up everything from uh, from Hastings or like, you know, Texas local kind of blockbustery spot. They had um, everything. It was a good store. And I, I just I saw John Landis's name on it. And um, this was before I was even like I had, you know, connected that, oh, these are the guys that made Airplane and uh, and the Naked Gun. Um but uh, I loved, I absolutely loved it the first time that I watched it. And it just, I had never really thought to go back to it because, um, you know, it doesn't leave you with that much other than laughs because there's not really any characters. It's just kind of a big pile of jokes. This, this more recent time watching it, though, um, I do, yeah, the age is evident. And we will talk about that towards the, a uh, little bit further down the road. Um. But overall, I, I did still like so many of the jokes. Uh, I think a lot of the sketches, to me, uh, still held up. Like, I mean, they, they have rough edges, but um, I, I laughed a lot still. And um, I think I just, that zany brand of humor that these guys have, um, it was really original at the time. I know I've seen a lot of these jokes kind of become a little hackneyed now. But uh, I just, I feel like that their brand is uh there's a lot of people who kind of try and imitate it but no one ever really like gets it right and yeah. it, it it's it's nice to see like just a movie that's a hundred percent goofy front to back um it, it's a good kind of change of pace because i feel like most comedies that i see now are just trying too hard to kind of fit in to a uh a, a typical kind of act structure and to hit every emotional beat it's a, then it, it, yeah it's a it's a different challenge. Like, I mean, you can make a, a, a typical formulaic structured comedy and the challenge is how do you fit in all that comedy in a structure? This yeah. is an entirely different challenge. How do you, how do you make a feature length sketch comedy work? And it, it's, it's in a pretty impossible task and they were able to pull that off. I'll give it to I, them. I think so. At least I think that like, um, they were kind of put in a hard spot to make this work. And I think that's why they put that very long segment. Um, the like 20 minute or so long segment of the Kung Fu movie in there. Yeah. Uh, maybe it wasn't a full 20 minutes, but it, it kind of felt like half an hour actually. Yeah, it felt longer than it needed to be. I understand that. I feel like they put that in there just to change it up so it wouldn't just be this 100% potpourri for 80 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that by the time you get through that, you're kind of done with the movie uh, until it starts to pick up pace again. Um, I liked the zinc oxide bit a lot after that. Yeah, and there that, was a that few was other... my favorite. There was a handful of great bits that happen after the uh, the Kung Fu movie, but I do think that that kind of slows down the film a lot. 
Yeah. But I, I can't think of any other way how you would make this kind of potpourri thing work. And I like how so many of the sketches, um, the jokes kind of interlapped into each other. The, uh, uh, I, I don't really approve of his, the, the name they gave for the, uh, the Kansas City chief football player, big Jim Slade that they, they had come in at the end of that, um, that sex record bit. But I yeah. did like him coming back and like, saving the day in the kung fu movie yeah and i loved the recurring bit with the uh the gemini's getting shot with arrows mm-hmm. um it kind of i wonder if mr show would have uh kind of worked or or if they would have been able to uh to do that in the 90s if it wouldn't have been for this this sketch movie in the late 70s kind of thinking of that idea of sketches all kind of connecting loosely I, I could see them getting the initial inspiration from this, just having a, the idea of making their sketches transition between one another. Mm. I could see that. Over, overall, I, I had a lot of fun with it this time through, but um, it, it has aged poorly in a, in a handful of spots. But I guess first uh, we'll, we'll talk about um, some some of the background of uh of where how this movie was made and where where it came from how did all these people like kind of meet and come up with these ideas yeah for sure um like i uh said earlier is it was written by david zucker jim abrahams and jerry zucker from now on i'm just going to call them zaz z for their last names combined together i found that on the internet some people are referring to them as such so from now on to shorten it i will call them zaz they uh, all three of these guys um, grew up together in Shorewood, Wisconsin, and um, they all went to the University of Wisconsin Madison, and there they founded a uh, small theater known as the Kentucky Fried Theater back in 1971. Uh, meanwhile, and I say meanwhile, uh, I've heard uh, because I'm kind of combining a couple different sources that kind of put all these different bits and pieces in different order. And so I'm doing my best to uh, combine what John Landis said in an interview with uh, some other people that were interviewed about the making of. And so if I get any of this wrong, that's on me. But uh, basically around the same time, John Landis had directed a very low budget horror comedy called Schlock. And while promoting the film, he appeared on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Zaz saw John Landis on the television being interviewed and were completely astonished that someone their own age was in Hollywood making comedy films. And um, then by some insane happenstance, according to John Landis, they both knew a man named Robert Wise. Uh, Zaz were hanging out with him and were talking about how they couldn't believe someone as young as they were made a movie. And Robert Weiss asked if they were talking about John Landis because he knew John Landis. Uh, he got them in touch with each other and Zaz told John Landis that they wanted to make a movie. He asked them if they had a script to which they asked, what's a script? Uh, he then handed them an early draft of American Werewolf in London and told them to write a screenplay following that format. Uh, the script they wrote and sent back to Landis was titled The Kentucky Fried Airplane and was a near word-for-word copy of the 1957 film Zero Hour. Jo- uh, John Landis uh, told them that there's a really fine line between parody and plagiarism, 
and told them they would need permission from the uh, the owners of the film Zero Hour with an exclamation point at the end uh, to make said movie. Uh, they couldn't get permission, and so they went back to the drawing board. Uh, eventually, they came up with the idea to make a film based on their sketches that they uh, performed at the Kentucky Fried Theater. Uh, John Landis helped them pick out a few and figure out which ones wouldn't work for the screen, and from there, they got the bar rolling. They started to shop around the idea at some Hollywood studios, but were immediately rejected by every single one of them. They were told repeatedly that audiences would not go to see a film comprised of sketch comedy. But um, having honed their material in front of live audiences for several years, they really had faith in their material, so they decided to try and make the film on their own. Uh, they got in touch with a really wealthy real estate investor who offered to finance the film as long as he read the script. When they showed him the screenplay, he got cold feet and suggested that he didn't want to finance it entirely, but would attract other investors for like uh, as long as they produced like a 10 minute short film that he would pay for. Um, when they uh, told them how much the short film was going to cost, he backed out entirely, but they liked the idea of uh, the short film. So they, uh, they get, they were able to gather 35,000 themselves and John Lannis directed the 10 minute short film. And now with that actual material in hand, they tried shopping it to Hollywood once again and were turned down all over again. But, um, then they got the idea to play the short film in front of a sm like an audience just to see how they would react, see if these Hollywood guys knew what they were talking about and it was a bad idea or if they had something uh, worth doing more with. And um, so they got in touch with a man named Kim Jorgensen, who was a film exhibitor. And when Jorgensen saw the short film, he fell out of his seat laughing so hard and uh, was so impressed that he went, went ahead and offered them to raise all the money they needed to make the entire film as long as he got an executive producer credit. Um, he raised the money and got their budget of $650,000. They made the film, and it went on to make $7.1 million. Um, it was a breakthrough film for John Landis, who went on to get hired to direct National Lampoon's Animal House because of the film and would then go on to a very successful directing career uh, with other hits such as American Werewolf in London and Blues Brothers. Um, it was also a breakthrough for Zaz, who would follow this up with Airplane, which was uh, based on the zero hour that they were completely unable to get the rights for before. And then they'd go on to make completely successful career with other big comedy hits such as the Naked Gun series, Hot Shots, and Top Secret amongst others. A uh, side note, uh, the film also inspired the painfully awful filmmaker Uwe Boll to make his first film, German Fried Movie, in 1992. So you can't say their film is harmless. Um, and then other little side uh, bits and pieces. Uh, many of uh, many former members of the Groundlings and Second City were featured in the film. David Letterman auditioned for the newscaster role and was turned down. Uh, the uh, the song. This was an interesting little rabbit hole. The song in the uh, opening and closing credits is a classic dance song that was performed by the comedic duo Jonathan and Darlene Edwards which is in actuality band leader Paul Weston and his wife, singer Joe Stafford. 
They were professional and highly talented musicians who would intentionally perform off-key, off-tempo, and overly high-pitched versions of popular songs as a joke at parties and eventually released several LPs. One of the highlights of going down this little rabbit hole was finding a version they did of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. It was pretty wacky. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about all I got for this film. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. I didn't know about the uh, Durman Fried movie. That's, that's interesting. Well, we're we're running a little short on uh, Kentucky Fried movie time. If we want to get to uh, to Hollywood Shuffle and have a good amount of stuff to say, but um, I still want to talk about kind of what were our favorite funniest moments, and then uh, what what do you think um, has not aged super well out of it. So what do you what do you, you said you didn't like you know not you weren't super connected with a lot of them but you said you'd like the zinc oxide bit uh, were were there any other moments or stuff you want to talk about I I I mean even though I didn't see it in the theater I, I love opening up a film with a news broadcast that says your popcorn has just been pissed in uh, that that was pretty <laughs> funny um, and uh, I mean like there were bits and pieces I thought the Certain sketches I didn't really like. I thought there were funny moments. Like, um, mm. I thought the Catholic high school girls in trouble thing was not great. But but I'll give props to, like, a shot of just an ass and then a pie hits it. I thought that was yes, pretty hysterical. And they, they amped it up, too, right after that. They, have the, they did the same thing with the big horse's ass. Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then... Uh, like uh yeah the zinc oxide was great and then like fistful of yin which is the long sequence that we we're talking about earlier yeah, um yeah. it 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 was it was definitely long and drawn out but there were moments that were absolutely hysterical there was um the alarm goes off at a point in the, in it and the alarm is an individual with a siren on his head and a megaphone saying ah 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 yes ah I, I, that got me. I, I laughed so hard with that. Um, and there was uh, this the sequence in there with the with a whole bunch of people in different jail cells, and there was this long-winded explanation of what each one of them was. That it was like uh, one of the cells has lost drunken men who don't know or care where they are. And who are they? Refuse, found in water from bars. Shanghai? Just lost drunken men who don't know where they are and no longer care. Where are we? I don't care. And these? These are lost drunken men who don't know where they are, but do care. And these are men who know where they are and care. But don't drink. Where am I? I don't know who I am. Yeah, and I don't drink. That was that would have been a Leslie Nielsen bit in one of their later films. Uh, get this man a drink. What do you want? I don't care. <laughs> and then uh, the 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 sequence where uh, the main character Lou walks in and uh, to the to his uh, room and is trying to, uh, you know, like. Uh, speak about how he's come to rescue 
the girl and she keeps pointing out different microphones all the way up to a guy with a boom mic sitting in the corner crouched. It's just, it's mm-hmm. classic Zucker, Abraham Zucker. Like that's straight out. Like that would, that would be in a naked gun movie. Mm-hmm. A lot, so many of these sketches just are like really out there in, in like just bizarre, goofy ways that I, I have a lot of respect for, even if they aren't like the most hysterical things in the world. Like, I love the uh, the interview with the weird Swiss Army knife microphone that is, <laughs> yeah. is shaving the man, and then it starts drinking water. It's just so like out there. Yeah. It, it's maybe not laugh out loud funny at a lot of the moments, but it's just it, zany is the only real great word to describe this this style of comedy. I think you said it earlier that. The, the Catholic school girls in trouble, I was going to bring up uh, talking about stuff that hasn't aged super well, but that one did have so many great bits in it. I love uh then they're like, uh, we'll finally learn the truth about masturbation. And it's just like this kid with werewolf hands. Yeah. And, and I mean, screaming. it's a sketch comedy film. There's going to be hit or miss sequences. The problem is when some of them last a little longer mm-hmm. than they need to. I thought the feel around sketch was not it was just not funny all around. And it was a little long. It could have been shorter. Maybe, uh, I mean, and nothing against these performers, but like, I mean, it's definitely a cheaper cast. I don't know if that was one of the uh, Zaz in that bit, but uh, I think with a better comedic yeah. performer, that, that could have worked really well. But it, that one is is one of the ones that I feel like is such kind of a, a theatrical, uh, like kind of trite, sketchy bit. Now I could almost see that being like in an all that episode yeah. in the nineties or yeah. something like that. Yeah, that one and uh, and then like a couple of them, I don't know. Reminded me of something like a like a like a bad dad joke that was turned into an absurd sketch. Like uh, the zip your pants thing. I could see that. Maybe, maybe that's my brain. The argon oil. Right. Some old man saying, "Oh, yeah, well they they're gonna come up with a with a bio oil coming straight out of the skin of kids with acne." And I mean, it <laughs> it was made funny, but I could like I just yeah. see an old man. It, yeah. That was one of those like funny ideas I thought of at some point. I was like fifteen. I was like, "Hey, look! Like, there's grease on my pencil. What if like you use that as a fuel?" But yeah, it's not a sophisticated joke. Oh yeah. Um, and most of this isn't. It's just I think it 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 it's like that kind of machine gun style comedy. Bit after bit after bit. There was some great lines though, like you pointed out with the jail cells. I also I liked at the start during the news segment when uh, they're talking about astrology. She's like, "These reports are not intended to foster a belief in astrology, but merely support people who cannot take responsibility for their lives." Yeah, that, I was, that was great. I loved the gorilla like reacting to them talking about how it's impotent. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that was great too. And it's funny to think about, like, this was before SNL and before, like, sketch comedy had, like, I mean, variety shows were big in the 60s and early 70s. And, like, Monty Python was on the air at this point. There had been sketch shows, but I feel like this was before kind of our modern idea of a sketch show. And like, I mean, like, this was 
I guess this came out right in the same, like in the exact same. It was like, the same year as, as SNL time. came out. I'm pretty sure. The SNL around the same time Monty Python mm-hmm. was getting big, and so there was definitely. I. I feel like, yeah. I mean, like Hollywood executives are always about ten years behind, and so I could see why they would keep turning it down. But this was right in the boom of the kind of comedy people mm-hmm. wanted to see. And I could see that's exactly why it became a hit. And uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about Airplane one day. But, like, I mean, these guys were kind of, like, front runners too. And John Landis as well. These guys are both kind of on two sides of, like, this big boom in comedy and this big birth of, like, our modern yeah. kind of cinematic idea of comedy. Like, um, But uh, I guess... We could talk a little bit about like the the really yeah. r- the rougher edges of, of this movie for a minute before we jump onto Hollywood Shuffle because I think ultimately later on in the episode when we compare compare the two it, it'll be kind of about some of these rougher edges. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah. There were there were there were a uh, yeah. They they play a lot around I mean, like, stereotypes you, in this movie, um, and, and we'll talk about that obviously yes. with Hollywood Shuffle as well because that's the point. But um, I, I definitely see how someone could uh, could get a bad taste in their mouth with the Cleopatra Schwartz, um, yeah, or something like that. I can see that, or especially like there's yeah. there's one bit where. Uh, the guy who's supposed to be a daredevil, he puts on a helmet and uh, a... armor and he goes in an alley and just spews out the N-word in front of yeah, a lot of black people. And it's just... Yeah, that's that was a rough one. I was trying to push buttons in all the wrong ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I could see someone argue it's not like trying to be mean-spirited, but still, like, it, it kind of... Not something you should put in a movie uh, as then or, or nowadays. Um, I, I found this um, Variety uh, article. Uh, this, it's a really brief review from 1976. And even then, in the, in the uh, tagline, they say, Kentucky Fried Movie boasts excellent production values, some genuine wit, but though a few of the sketches are tasteless. And that was at the time it came out. Uh, so even, even (laughs) back then, yeah, within the day. And, uh, there was a New York times, uh, review in, in 77 and they were much more negative on it. And, uh, for kind of a lot of those, a lot of those points, they talked about, uh, Cleopatra Schwartz and, um, some of the other bits and how, uh, they just didn't have much restraint and taste and Yeah. I, I could see that argument. Yeah. I I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I could... think it's all under this, like, kind of blanket of we're just having a goofy, fun time. And nothing's ever, like, mean-spirited. But, um, yeah. No, no. It's it, it's more ignorant than ignorant it is. Ignorant is probably a good word. Intentionally offensive. Yeah. Like, the just, like, a lot of it was, I mean, other than definitely the, the danger seekers daredevil mm. sequence was the worst everything else felt like a uh a statement on like the 
the entertainment of the day, like every they were their own spin on like, you know, like you could talk about the Asian stereotypes in a fistful of yin sure. sequence. And, but at the same, I mean, and as offensive as that one could get, I could see it as being just a straight up send up of all the Bruce For Lee movies. For the most movies. part. Yeah. There were a few it bits was... in there that like I did kind of shake my head. I remember they were naming, like they did that date show bit thing. Oh yeah. That was awful. And, and they, yeah, they had it, the, the, I forget what they said, but yeah, it was like a long wing kind of joke. Just stuff like that. Just really like stuff that you hear a dad at a barbecue say, and you're like, why are you still? No, no one says that anymore. Please don't. Cleopatra Schwartz was, I'm guessing they're just their attempt at like Uh, a a send up of the black exploitation films of the day. She was six feet of black dynamite. He was a short Hasidic Jew. She fought a savage battle to stay alive in the ghetto. He studied the Talmud at night. While she burned the ghetto to the ground, he kindled the Sabbath candles. It, it's a goofy twist, and like, I'm pretty sure these are Jewish people. At oh, least. they're very Is Jewish. That, yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, that one, I don't think it was mean-spirited. I did laugh. I, I mean, I have to be honest with myself. I did find the idea funny, but I just, I think yeah. it could be treated better. And maybe, I, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just like kind of a landmine of a, of a kind of hot hot topic, just trying to express that in any sort of way. Yeah. But it does, you know, it, it is this kind of cartoonization of exploitation films, which... Hollywood Shuffle does uh, a lot through its film, uh, through the movie, oh, and, and and it plays with uh, those stereotypes a lot. It too much more of a point, in, in my opinion, and uh, I, I think that that's where we're gonna jump on from here. We're gonna talk about ju- jumping ship onto the 1987 um, Robert Townsend comedy uh hollywood shuffle also an independent comedy also kind of um sketchy in style this one obviously has a frame story to it uh and yes so it, it works a little better like there's context to every one of those sketches they're all like kind of stream of consciousness almost the excuse for them you could tell that like the character's imagination going wild based on the sequence situations he's in at the moment hi My name is Robert Townsend, and it's hard to make a movie in Hollywood, but I did, with the help of a few friends and a few credit cards. What's the line? I ain't be got no weapons. I ain't be got no weapons. My film's about making it as an actor in Hollywood. The only role they gonna let us do is a slave, a butler, or some street hood or something. Don't sell out, brother. Oh, promised land. But the real trick is finding a juicy role when the odds are against you. Good luck, brother. (laughs) What we're looking for is an Eddie Murphy type. What is happening with your cool vines? Thank you. Thank you. You're the worst actor I've ever seen in my life. Then they said I wasn't black enough for the part. Ricky, can you tell us what you've been doing since you've graduated? Well, Robert, I've played nine crooks, four gang leaders, two dope dealers. I played a rapist twice. Whoa. That was fine. They'll never play the Rambos until they stop playing the Sambo. Yeah! I, I just want to be me. I, 
I don't want to be Eddie Murphy. He's the one we want! I just want to... I just... <clears throat> Hollywood Shuffle. Now that was a good movie! I love this movie. It was genius. Go see it today, please. Because I got to pay off these credit cards. Tell your friends about it. Lots of friends. Your cousins, hey, your aunts, your uncles. Cool. Maybe your ex-wife. Take a bum to the movies. Go see Hollywood Shuffle today, please. This is both of our first time watching Hollywood Shuffle. Um, so what, what were your impressions for Hollywood Shuffle? And what did you know about it like beforehand? Uh, I, I honestly didn't know much about it at all um, beforehand. Um, and uh, watching it, I really... I, I was I was very entertained by it. Uh, for the sequences that weren't as funny, I'd still call the film as a whole just like a refreshing take. And uh, trying to think of the right word, I guess I'd say delightful. It was like it's an enjoyable film, even when it's not absolutely hysterical. Um, I I I enjoyed it as well. Um, I. I think in a lot of ways it's kind of a heartbreaking comedy. Like there's yeah. all these great light um, sketches that are fun, but there's always just this this tinge of kind of a just heartbreak to it. Yeah, because there's uh, yeah, but, yeah. It's, just, it's really pointed and 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 very true. And it, I think the saddest thing is like that it, it's been thirty years, and um, and a lot of this stuff kind of still reigns true. Yeah, um, that that he's trying to point out. Obviously, uh, I have a um, a Roger Ebert uh, review actually from '87 of the movie, and he points out that um, he he enjoyed it. Uh, some of the joke, like the sketches, went on a little bit too long, um, but he says that uh, so something I kind of sort of agree with, but uh, I I don't know. I think he should have made more of a point of pointing out what, what it did right. But uh, he, he points out that some of the stereotypes that it tries to kind of depict were outdated in 87 and like would, would obviously be really outdated now. And um, I could see it like the, there's so much uh, segments with like pimps and it's like exploitation y looking like very seventies kind of vibe. Um, and I personally haven't seen. I mean, I, I've seen a handful of black exploitation movies, but I've never seen that many that that depict, uh, you know, like kind of that that side of street life in that exaggerated of a way. Yeah, that's but yeah. But I think a ton of the sketches do hold true, especially the ones with like kind of the action heroes and stuff, and how he points out how. Uh, how devoid that is, you know, in cinema. Yeah, there's, there's not any black Rambo's. There's uh there's not any. There still hasn't been a black Superman. Like he says in the movie that he wants. He says he'd love to be a first black Superman. Yeah. Uh, we we still haven't seen that. Um, I think I was talking to you a little bit off mic before about how uh, Anthony Mackie um plays the Falcon in the MCU, the Marvel movies. Yes. Uh, how he's kind of pointed that um, there's not that many black people behind the camera and behind the scenes on those movies. And, uh, you know, they they made, what, 20 Marvel movies leading up to Infinity War and the Endgame. Something like that. And uh, 
in Infinity War and Endgame, there was so many characters that had their own kind of character arcs and narratives. But Black Panther and Falcon, they, they didn't really... They gave him a shield at the end of it, Falcon. They're like, <laughs> hey, uh, you get to be the big guy now because I'm old. Yeah. Um, but he didn't really get his own journey. I mean, Black Panther's an amazing movie. I'm glad it came out. But um, I, I feel like that's such kind of an anomaly within that genre. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and within, yeah, within Marvel and DC in general, DC is kind of yet to do anything like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What did you learn about kind of the making of um, Hollywood Shuffle? The making of is interesting. Um, the uh, The film was produced, directed, and co-written by Robert Townsend. And like we were talking about, it's it's a semi-autobiographical movie that's largely dealing with Robert Townsend's experiences trying to find work as a black actor in the 80s. And um, it pretty much started in 1984. Um, Townsend had a small role in the film A Soldier's Story. The film was nominated for an Oscar and and he had a really good time being involved in it. He told his agent that he wanted to do more movies like A Soldier's Story, but his agent told him, Robert, they only do one black movie a year. You just did it. Be happy. And he started to get scared that his dreams of being a distinguished film actor were beginning to die. Uh, the only roles he was being given to audition for were stuff like slaves or pimps or black basketball players. And um, he talked to a friend of his from the improv in New York, Keenan Ivory Wayans, who was going through the exact same thing. Uh, then Robert Townsend thought that maybe they should make their own movie about their lives and what they were dealing with. And with that idea, they set off on the journey to make a movie, but they had absolutely zero studio backing. Uh, Townsend says, quote, the idea of somebody writing, directing, producing, and starring in a movie, especially a person of color, wasn't heard of. Keeping in mind, this was the mid eighties and uh, making your own movie with little to no experience is almost heard of at this time entirely uh this was five to seven years before kevin smith blew the doors wide open for anyone to make their own little movie uh so for anyone to do something like that let alone a person of color in a predominantly white industry known for belittling belittling or undervaluing anyone who isn't their own skin color or gender what townsend was able to accomplish is nothing short of groundbreaking and astonishing the film cost $100,000 to make, which Townsend was able to fund entirely through acting gigs and credit cards. The uh, The film was made in 12 days over the course of two years in between touring wow. as a stand-up comedian. Now, uh, I say 12. It could be 17 days, depending on your source. IMDb says 17, but Vanity Fair says 12. So, regardless... Yeah, it's it's still only impressive. a few days spread out over several years. Yeah. Uh, he was able to get free film stock by splicing together leftovers from the production of a couple films he was in at the time, uh, namely Odd Jobs and Rat Boy. Okay. By the way, the film Rat Boy is exactly like you're imagining. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a good image on why, uh, was it Bat Boy or what what they call him? Batty? Batty Boy, 
Uh, I remember, you know, watching Hollywood yeah. Shuffle and just being like, where the hell did they get the idea for Batty Boy? That's the dumbest thing. I've never heard of that stereotype. But no, I guess he was in a movie yeah. called Rat Boy. All right. Yeah. It's about a human rat hybrid boy. And I, I, I got to see it. These are the kind of roles that uh, he was able to find. Yeah. <laughs> It was uh, it was shot entirely without film permits. They got away with it by having the crew wear UCLA shirts to pretend they were students. And, uh, yeah, students trying to learn how to film in the field. It's pretty clever. Um, after finishing the film, it was picked up by Samuel Goldwyn, Goldwyn Company and uh, received wide theatrical distribution. And not only making its money back, but making more than $5 million dollars. Um, the film's accomplishments shouldn't be understated as a really good Vanity Fair article states. I'm going to quote them. Uh, Though directors like Spike Lee, Melvin Van Peoples, and Michael Schultz were already on the scene when Hollywood Shuffle hit theaters, Townsend and Wayans helped kick the door wide open for black talent in the late 80s, ushering in a fertile period of comedic and dramatic films starring black actors in complex roles that were also directed by black directors. In 1988, Wayans wrote, directed, and acted in the comedy I'm Gonna Get You, Sucka. In 1990, he created In Loving Color, a groundbreaking sketch comedy series that's more relevant today than ever. Lee's 1989 breakthrough, Do the Right Thing, is still the gold standard for politically driven films. The 90s brought House Party and Friday. Even black female writer-directors broke through eventually, though it took longer. See Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust in 1991. Kasi, uh, Kasi Lemon's Eve's Bayou in 1995, and Gina Prince-Bythewood's Love and Basketball in 2000. And in 2003, Chappelle's show debuted. It's likely that many of these projects wouldn't have made it to, to the screens if not for the success of Hollywood Shuffle. If nothing else, Townsend's triumph may have helped give those directors and filmmakers the courage to take a chance on their own projects. Quoting Robert Townsend, I don't want to take credit, but... I know. I just know that we planted seeds that it was okay to be funny, to write, direct, produce. When people heard the story of Hollywood Shuffle and how we did it, I think it gave inspiration to a lot of filmmakers to say, if Robert can do it with a credit card, I can do it. Um, as an aside, uh, later that year in 1987, when it was released, Eddie Murphy saw Hollywood Shuffle and personally asked uh, for Townsend to direct his now legendary stand-up special Raw. Um, Townsend went on to make several other films, such as The Five Heartbeats, a musical drama mm -hmm. in 1991, The Meteor Man, a comedy in 1993, and Holiday Heart in 2000, all of which I'm now curious to go check out. Um, I remember Meteor Man from the VHS box art that I passed by every time I went mm -hmm. into Blockbuster as a kid, but never actually checked it out. Um, I kind of want to see it now. Yeah, yeah, I, I looked up kind of the reception of some of the later ones. I was just curious, and um, I don't think any of them had been like as resoundingly loved as this, but um, I'm still curious, yeah. yeah. I, I would be curious to see kind of how he developed through his career and, and what kind of stories he told later on. Um, I saw in, in, uh, in Ebert's review of this, he, he kind of likened it in some ways to... Um, how common it is for like debut novelists to um to be autobiographical and uh and talk about you know themselves writing their first novel 
and that is the first novel but I, yeah. I i do feel like that's a little reductive here because he uses that frame of him like looking for these uh parts a, a, as such a way to kind of tell a story about a time and a place and and to really open the eyes to a lot of people uh, about what it's like for this certain kind of experience you know of trying to be a black oh, actor yeah. Um, I, I talking about Eddie Murphy, I, I did, you know, as like cringy it is, and it's kind of supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. But I did think it was hilarious, like them, uh, how you know, uh, upfront they were. We want someone that acts like Eddie Murphy from head to toe. We're, we're looking for someone to be Murphonic. <laughs> yeah. That was that was a nightmare <laughs> sequence. Uh, I, I guess, uh, we could we could jump from here into uh into some of our like funnier some of the stuff we thought really worked comedically because there was a a handful of yeah. sketches that i really liked i, I did kind of like the uh the, the rambo thing i liked uh just just the idea winky yeah, dinky was dogs was funny and everything around there i loved um the segment where he was imagining <laughs> himself coming back and he's like this big rich uh actor and uh his like manager is just trying to make money selling buns called woe cakes. He's like, everybody loves woe cakes. <laughs> yeah. I liked the sneaking into the movie uh, sequence. Yeah, I liked the uh, the Dirty Larry one in that. And uh... I thought the yeah, Dirty Larry. And then um, there was a line in Attack of the Street Pimps that was, I laughed so hard. It was when they were talking about it. And the guy said, I believed this movie. You get all those pimps together walking around and shit with big hats on. And he just trails <laughs> off. I, I, I like in the, so I like in the Dirty Larry on? where uh, he, he has the guns, uh, the, the big gun out. And for some reason they ask, how much did it cost? He's like, I don't know, around $300. I got it on sale. Larry, I'm not glad to see you. They got hostages. They want to go to the airport. All right, just keep the SWAT team back. I'll handle it. All right, why don't you punks freeze and drop your guns on the ground? What did you say, honky suckle pig head, jive turkey fool? I said drop your guns to the ground. Make us, Kyle. It's three of us. And it's only one of you. <laughs> well, why don't you meet my friends? Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson. Wow, that's a big gun, man. You know, it's not just a gun. It's a 44 Magnum. It's the most powerful handgun around. No shit. No shit. Yo, man, how much did it cost? About $300. I'm not sure, though. I got it on sale. How many bullets does it hold? Six. Larry. What? I got a cramp in my neck. Let the lady go. Why? Because. Because why? Because I say so. Who are you, man? He's Dirty Larry. That's right. We don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But uh, I did enjoy that. I liked the kind of like uh, them making fun of Indiana Jones. Chicago Jones. Yes. <laughs> Some of the stuff was like set up as a joke, but were more painful than funny. Like um, the all the hopefuls getting ready to audition. Yeah. Where the guy had to use suntan lotion to get his yeah, skin yeah. darker. 100%. And then one of one of the the lines one of the the women says is 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 much more painful because it's just front and center like this has been a joke 
in Hollywood for years and it took this long to even, you know, like uh, do anything about it when the when the uh, the lady said uh, the director said I have to be at his house at 12 p.m. midnight. Girl, mm. I ain't stupid. I was there at 1159. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not a good thing that no was, that yeah. the Hollywood industry has abused women for years. Mm-hmm. It, it is, is a, it, yeah. It's a very kind of male written that uh, that a woman would be like that. Yeah. Um, I there was another line I, I liked when uh, I think it was another one of his kind of fantasies. Uh, but it was about like you know if he would take this role and become big and then everyone then is criticizing him of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then he, he just gets killed by his girlfriend. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I think it was one of his boss at the, uh, the winky dinky dog talking about him. And there he's like, he always was a Tom, uh, an uncle Tom. Daddy was a Tom. Uncle was a Tom. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, I thought the the black acting school was pretty funny. Yep. Yeah, I laughed a lot at that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting how much like kind of this this humor is uh is based around stereotypes, but kind of trying to to have a point to that. You know, it, it's using it with an edge, like it, yeah. it's saying these stereotypes are harmful and we're being shoved into them. Um, it it is kind of interesting to me that. Uh, I mean, so much of comedy is still shoved in that kind of that nook. Um, they even like in the big ending kind of rap number after the credits <laughs> the start. Um, they say one uh, one of them says like, "Hey, it'd be great if we could play like you know great roles throughout history, like Medea, you know the Euripides literature, Medea." I found yeah, not, that not extremely Madea, Madea. ironic how now Tyler Perry has created this like over the top stereotype character called Medea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Still wow. haven't had a great black interpretation of, you know, Euripides Medea that I know of, but uh we got Medea goes to jail. Yeah. Medea goes uh, to Halloween amongst, amongst like 15 others, yep. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yep. I, I thought that was that was almost a little funny how ironic that was, even though it's kind of awful. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they, you you pointed out the uh, that line that the woman said uh, as, and, and I would maybe even put that into a category here of like stuff that maybe makes this movie not age too well. Yeah, um, I, I know that at some point they said like, uh, you know, the lowercase F word through that. Oh, around. yeah, he does I mean, throw that out there. I, that, yeah, very much a sign of the time. I know that used to not even be that taboo to throw around, but it, it does kind of perk my ears up and make me uncomfortable when, uh, yeah. when it gets thrown around. I, I remember uh, I, I, I had to play it again because I wasn't sure that I just hear that because it was it was thrown out there just so willy nilly. Yeah. I was like, wait, did he actually just say, and then, oh yeah, he did. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> In a sequence that was only moderately humorous. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the death of a break dancer scene. Yes. 
I do, I do think that had some funny moments that, like, I could see even being in, in kind of like some Wayne's brother stuff. The character named Jerry Curl, um, and, and his yeah. his kind. I mean, this is I guess will point out how white to me I am, how white I am. I had to like look up, like, wait, what is Activator? Why does he need to keep spraying this on? And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's how it works with Jerry Curls. I didn't know that. It's good yep. to know now. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I did. Yeah, that I, was a very. I found that sequence. somewhat amusing. Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't terrible. That sequence, I liked the ones like that that were more playful at him, like straight up, kind of like uh, trying to mimic a, a genre. Mm-hmm. And because I feel like it was a good split between um, sketches, sketches that were like, you know, what if a black person was in this genre and did like have a representation in it, and then sketches that were like, here is are like over the top exaggerated version of how Hollywood does depict these genres and black people in these genres. Yeah, that's true. Uh, overall though, I do. Yeah. I think it had a handful of funny moments and like out of, out of all the movies we talked about so far, this is the only one that really like kind of had an ax to grind and something to say and, uh, had a lot of heart to it. I, yeah, I guess comparing it now to, uh, to the Kentucky Fried movie, I, I picked these to go uh, hand in hand because we had watched the Kentucky Fried movie. Um, I guess, yeah, get, getting a little behind the veil of the show, the gag reel pod. <laughs> yep. We had watched Kentucky Fried movie and uh, that was my idea. And, I, and we both kind of talked about it behind the scenes and we're like, you know what? I don't know if I could talk about Kentucky Fried movie for an hour. And I had um, seen comparison articles before uh, pop up between these two movies and, and how they both kind of bounce around in different sketches, but that Hollywood Shuffle is a pretty much all black cast. And I was like, oh, maybe those would pair well together. Um, I didn't realize uh, before I'd done that, that Hollywood Shuffle had a frame story and had so much of a, uh, a kind of narrative to it. Yeah. Um, it was, so I don't know if I would yeah. like put them... I, I don't know if I would batch them so closely together um, yeah, with yeah. their structures, but, but they do kind of, like you were saying earlier, they do uh, depict these kind of stereotypes and what's on the TV basically in, in these fun and creative ways. And they yeah. both were done on, on these shoestring budgets. Oh yeah. Behind the scenes is very similar situation where, yeah, these people who had, well, yeah, people with virtually no money throwing together their own project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do, I do think it is a great kind of litmus test uh, of uh, of maybe like a privilege, you know, looking at these two movies that are doing kind of similar things, but like looking at the reasoning behind the kind of two different things and just how pure and goofy and zany um kentucky fried movie is because like and, and their interpretation of these tropes are, are very kind of fun loving rather than hollywood shuffles interpretation of these um these television tropes is a lot more hey these tropes are kind of damaging to us yeah there's a, a lot more of a point with hollywood shuffle with with uh kentucky fried movie you know like it's like don't you love this type of movie here's a wacky version of it mm-hmm. hollywood shuffle it's like there's something wrong with this now do you notice it yeah 
And I, I'm glad we watched that I watched them in this order, actually, because I don't think yeah. uh, I don't know if I would have been able to enjoy a Kentucky Fried movie as much uh, if I watched it right after Hollywood Shuffle. Probably not. But uh, they're both still fun movies. I'm not saying like, oh, Kentucky Fried movies just like this this pile of privilege and it shouldn't be enjoyed. Like, I mean, it, it has some rough edges, uh, but I, I still think, you know, it, it's a fun movie. Yeah. And it, it does kind of twist a, a lot of uh, a lot of tropes and, and a lot of like things you'd see on television in way out there, bizarre interpretations that you would never think of. Oh yeah, it's a wacky movie. In ways, yeah, like it's pretty clever in its absurdity, I guess I'd say. That that's a good way to put it. Clever in its absurd, in the zane, yeah. the Billy zaniness. Like the, I I mean like yeah I don't I don't. I don't know how they came up with that toy robot sequence, but they came <laughs> up with it, you know. But um, I, I don't have that much else to say uh, at this given time, and we're 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 running a little late here. Try trying not to keep these uh, episodes too long. Um, but uh, if you have any kind of closing statements on uh, in Kentucky Fried Movie or um, Hollywood Shuffle, no, I'm I'm glad I saw them. That I wouldn't put them in the pantheon of my absolute favorite comedy films ever mm-hmm. made. Um, unlike, uh, I guess our first episode, Spinal Tap, which is absolutely in the pantheon of favorite <laughs> comedy films ever. Uh, but I would I'm put, glad I saw them. I would put you both know? these in very, like, uh, in, in the boxes of very important comedy films. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Like two very kind of like building blocks uh, of like kind of where, where comedy films went from there and. Oh, absolutely. Where we are now. Um, but I guess uh, future talk for uh, for where we're going with Gag Real Pod. Um, Indubitably. The next episode is something that we've been teasing for a while, and it's something that might kill us. We'll see. But um, <laughs> two weeks from now, we're finally starting it. The trial for Adam Sandler, or I guess the trial of Adam Sandler. I haven't decided yet. Um but we're this is going to be a big project and uh but this is going to be the first part of it and then we're probably going to take a break let like you know reality come back into our lives uh get get out of the adam sandler right i don't know it might break us we'll see but um next week or two weeks from now we'll be putting up episode one of this journey uh this part we're going to go through every film that he was in in the 90s all of them. Literally everything that he touched. And um, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about his SNL career too, in and out, and how that intermingles into this. But um, then we'll probably take a few weeks off, and then we'll get into the next episode of this uh, series. Is going to be all his films from the 2000s and yep. beyond. And um, We're going to try and pinpoint the, where it all fell apart. Yeah, yeah. We're... Like like I said, this is the trial of Adam Sandler. I want to find out is his, are his films of worth now? Like where where's the good? Where's the bad? Where's the line in between? Do the new ones like what makes those so bad? The old ones, what makes them better? Are they better? We're gonna dig Damn. deep into this. 
And I've uh, got a I've got a, a pet hypothesis that I've been germinating, but I can't really confirm or deny until I've studied some of these films a little more, which I'm excited to do. It's gonna be very much like a uh, corkboard, strings, post-it notes, lots of cigarettes. Like we're gonna go crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that yeah that will begin then, and then I don't know from there. Uh, write in to gagreelpod at gmail dot com. Send in your suggestions on what movies we should talk about. I know we've been talking a lot about um kind of debut films uh, of filmmakers. Um, maybe you could uh, write in a suggestion of like someone like right in the meat of their career and then something great they did or uh, anything. Yeah. And also Not, obviously yeah. write in um, your own reviews for the early Adam Sandler years. Uh, give us your opinions on, on, on where his career has gone and like what makes these earlier ones better. Cause I know like generally that's the consensus that his, his my nineties movies were the best. Um, so write in uh, your opinions about Adam Sandler, where he's gone, your opinions about um, Kentucky Fried Movie and Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, write in and yell at us and tell us that like we didn't talk about anything that you wanted us to talk about. Um, and just in general, uh, scream at us, whatever. Um, you can write reviews on, uh, on iTunes of the podcast, please. That would be helpful. Um, and, and, and keep checking it out. I don't know. Do you have anything else to say, uh, Will? No, just, uh, yeah, stay tuned. And, um, yeah, email away. I mean, if you got something interesting to say, we'll, we'll definitely read it on the podcast. So, yeah, don't, don't, don't expect us to, to not respond. But, uh, but, uh, I guess have a good one, everybody. And, uh, it's been a doozy that it has so let me pause that it's over now